Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. Timber Buildings Command a Premium. Hello everyone and thank you for being with us here on this very sunny afternoon. Apologies for the delay in getting this session started. We are actually still waiting for one additional speaker um, and we hope that he will be able to join and slot in. Um, but in the interest of time, we will get started because there's a lot for us to get through and we don't want to kind of have any knock-on delays for the sessions later. So the session um, is Timber Buildings Commander Premium. I'm Stephanie Burrell. I am the Forest Economy Lead at the World Economic Forum. And I'm joined today by Andrew Wall of War Thistleton, Sean Simons of Compton, um, and potentially one additional person, but we'll leave that as a surprise. So um, we're going to kick off. Is it worth moving everybody forward? Would everybody be okay to do that? Because otherwise, if you it's want to, bit, I mean, is that okay? Is... If you just want to, because otherwise um, it's like a bit, <laughs> bit weird. And you might sneak off. We don't bite, and we also encourage you to um, ask any questions um, through the app. Um, we'll be taking Q and A later, so it'll be really nice to have your input into the session too. Um, but yeah, it'll be Andrew who'll be kicking us off with a short presentation about the black and white building, and I'm going to leave it to him to introduce that and walk us through. Over Thanks to you. so much. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for coming along. So I'm just going to give a brief introduction to a project uh, that we completed <clears throat> in December last year called the Black and White Building in Shoreditch, which is an office building built for co-working space. And I'll give a brief introduction to Ben Croft uh, <laughs> from General Projects. Thank you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> So um, I wanted to just give a brief introduction to this building and some of our clients' reasons for building in timber beyond sustainability. So this is really thinking about uh, the biophilic value of, and the health and well-being value of being in a timber building and what that might do to the value of the building, uh, to the rental value, to the overall uh, sales value of the building, and how actually timber beyond sustainability has many other advantages. So as I said, this is an all-timber building. So everything from the ground floor slab up, entirely made of timber, 5,000 square meters of co-working space, um, and all the timber inside the building completely exposed. So timber lift shafts and staircase and main core, columns, beams, floor slabs, walls, and furniture. And so you can see here, I don't know if you can see, but anyway, roughly see here, uh, opening windows throughout the building, uh, timber staircases, which Apparently, everybody runs down, get the lift up and take the staircase down. Um, the interior design was done by a local interior designer to, in, in Shoreditch, um, who, who frankly probably fitted the demographic more closely of the occupier than I do these days, um, uh, called Day Trip, who are fabulous. Um, all the furniture was manufactured locally within the M25, and uh, the Poor Collective are a group of emerging designers, mostly from London, who designed all the furniture. Predominantly, the furniture is made of ash from ash dieback in the UK, so all UK timber as well. So you can see, probably, the, uh, the interior of the building here. It's all naturally daylit, um, very simple building. So timber buildings, because they're buildings that are designed through their engineering, are buildings that generally are not ostentatious buildings. These are simple, sufficient buildings that really 
celebrate the materiality of the, and, and the natural light of those spaces. So, this is, so these buildings that we've been building as a practice for 20 years now um, <clears throat> have a really quite special ambience to them, a special and a different kind of feel when you're inside the building. And actually kind of putting your finger on what that kind of untang those untangible benefits might be is, is, uh, is quite difficult, but there is increasing amounts of data from post-occupancy uh, evaluation surveys worldwide, which is beginning to give data back on, on some of that. So in this building, we use all clear glass. And we use all clear glass for two reasons. One is because you can't recycle glass when it's got an E coating on. So all the kind of big new office blocks that you see all around the world, that's all landfill, the outside of those buildings. So with this building, we use, predominant, we use clear glass and we put solar shading around the outside of the building in order to maximize the, uh, the solar gain in the winter and minimize solar gain in the summer. So um, you can see there, that's the, obviously the south-facing window. So the solar shading is horizontal. And then on the west, it's vertical. So you can see inside here, very few internal finishes. As our um, tote bags say, we let the wood do the work. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of, you know, the finish of the building, the feel of the building is all about that. Now, some of these post-occupancy evaluation, this is one by the Australian government, which was done a few years ago, which is a survey of 1,000 office workers in different working environments, and demonstrates from that survey that people who work in timber office buildings have lower heart rates, lower stress levels, better, product, better productivity, they, too, they take fewer days off sick, and uh, they're less likely to leave their employer. Now, if you think about a typical uh, office user in the UK, in London specifically, and I, you might want to correct me on these figures, Sean, but as I understand it, typically for a, bill, for a business turning over more than £2 million a year, they spend about 7% on their rent and about 80% on their staff. So if you have a really happy staff and you want to spend a little bit more on your rent in order to ensure a really happy staff, then that makes economic sense. And certainly in these days where actually businesses, businesses survive on their talent, then that really is an imperative. So what we're trying to drive here is not only light, low carbon, but better quality. Oh, there you go. That's the slide that says that. So this one's from the US Department of Labor. This is a couple of years ago. This shows that actually in the States, more widely, rent is about 9%. That includes tax in this situation. And you can see that, uh, that employees' salaries, et cetera, about 86%. So really, if you focus on how happy people are in their building, in their work environment, then you're looking at a healthier company for the happiness of their staff. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you very much, Andrew. I think it's fantastic to kick us off with an example of kind of what we will be talking about today. So office space constructed from timber. Um, and now I kind of want to go straight into some questions. I think it's going to be quite a lively discussion. Um, so I want to start with one, which is kind of, I noted your enthusiasm there, but kind of getting a bit more factual based, like what evidence can we actually see that timber buildings are commanding a premium in the UK today? And I think we should start off with Sean. Very happy. <laughs> right. Um, so value is a really difficult one to put your finger on right now, but I think what I'm sure, you, as you all know, I think the London and the UK is experiencing quite unprecedented um, 
it's quite an unprecedented situation at the moment um, in terms of office take-up. On the back of COVID, people aren't going back to the office as much as they were. Um, given that the market was effectively frozen for two years during COVID, there's clearly a lot more supply on the market than we would normally like to have. And in addition to that, there is um, suppressed amounts of demand. So you've got lots of supply and not a huge amount of demand. Um, that, that, that's without kind of talking about office wellbeing, which I'm sure we'll come on to later on. But for me at the moment, if you put, your, if you put yourself into the shoes of an occupier looking for space in London, it could be any district of London, right now you could, depending on the size criteria, you could be out looking at anywhere between 50 and 60 buildings that are suitable for your needs. Now, if you're looking at 50, 60 buildings and they all look the same, and they've all, they've all been built out of either concrete or um, steel, and they've got floor to ceiling glazing and raised access flooring, and they all kind of do the same thing. Where's the differentiator? So, so in terms of value, value is quite difficult to put your finger on, but actually if you look at CLT buildings from my experience, and we've been involved with Andrew and others in, in quite a few CLT buildings, these CLT buildings stand out from the crowd. So if there is an occupier going to see 50 buildings, and only one of them is CLT, that one is going to stand out from the crowd more than others. So it may not necessarily, in the current climate, create an enhanced value, but what it will do is it will create a much faster, um, a faster leasing process, less avoids. So whilst there's not value in terms of necessarily pound per square foot at this moment in time, we are finding that buildings with different architectural DNAs and interesting characteristics are performing better and CLT very much comes under that bracket. Ben, would you like to add on anything? I, I, I don't think I can really add too much to that. <laughs> I mean, I was like, damn, we said everything. No, it's fine. It's fine. But I think, so I, so when, I think f f from our perspective and where we see occupiers approaching, taking large chunks of floor space in, in central London, and I think, horses for courses once you start moving away from that then they become different types of occupier demands but take big corporate workspaces in central london well actually in, in in any built up city we're seeing a huge amount of demand being driven towards sustainability esg csr pick a pick an acronym they all kind of want to, they want their built environment to do that for them because then that will help them attract and retain talent. And also there's a there's growing demand from, from, um, from employees as well that they want their businesses to be doing better for, for, them, for them, but also for the planet. And so when you start to have that sort of conversation around, well, what's your environmental performance? How, does this, how is this building better for the planet? How do... Yeah, how are you going to make this an amazing environment to work for me? I think our approach is to say, well, just, just, just look at the product. If, you're, if you are building a building out of timber, trying to achieve exemplary performance in terms of be it EPC or neighbors or take your pick, and actually creating an environment that people want to be, that looks great, smells great there's this there's this embodiment of what we're trying to do which is about creating something where people want to go and f for me 
there's no better way to do that than with a timber building because the thought, the process, the, the, the pure resilience you need to be able to develop those types of buildings, it, you know, is way, way up there. You are focusing far, far much more on the detail and how it's being delivered, far more than anyone who's throwing up a, a, a building as a concrete frame. So I think whilst, whilst there isn't necessarily a lot of evidence out there to say it is going to be more valuable, I think the value in the values that we're trying to transfer through through care, attention, detail, sustainability, ethics, procurement. I think I think the the only result that you've got from that process at the moment is a is a timber building. Great. So yeah, Andrew, I'm gonna put it to you that you know it's been said that more you know, green buildings, sustainable buildings, buildings that are nice to be in command the premium. But does timber make that differentiator in your mind above what could be achieved through other green building materials? I think so, because I think that, that when you walk into a timber building, and this is kind of like, you know, being feedback from clients of ours, when you walk into a timber building, it's, it's visually sustainable. You don't have to go running to the filing cabinet and try and find your BRIAM or your LEED certificate. You are in a really, you know, you're in an, a very obviously low carbon environment. So I think that that's, you know, both for the building owner and for tenants and their employees, I think that's a, I think that's a real bonus to be somewhere that, that represents your own values, that represents your company values, I think is, is something that people are really looking for beyond the health and well-being benefits. And I think one of the other things that we haven't yet touched on is also about adaptability. And if you are in a building, it's much easier to put a staircase between floors you know, to uh, have a new window, to, um, to extend the building. All you need is a, you know, a circular store and an engineer, maybe even an architect. I think that's going to be increasingly important as we see different uses of buildings, as demographics change, we don't know what's around the corner. To have that flexibility is definitely something that kind of does set it apart. Um, kind of on that and kind of trends and themes looking forward, are there any kind of insights that you see from other parts of the world of what's happening in this space that might be applied to the UK or that we can learn from where they're maybe pushing the boundaries a bit more on timber? Probably yeah, one I mean, for you there, Andrew. Certainly. Um, you know, it's, it is frustrating because the UK was a leader in terms of innovation and construction and architecture in timber, and now we're falling way behind the rest of the world for, for many different reasons, mostly around legislation, but also around ambition for sustainability. And what we're seeing in, Euro in, in other countries in Europe and in the US is a real flight to sustainability, a real desire to be visually sustainable. And in the US, there's, no, there's absolutely no doubt that these buildings command a premium, um, which is, I mean, the thing is, the funny thing about that is that it has a kind of flip side to it as well, because that means that they, that they, they build timber buildings in the US quite expensively you know, without worrying as much as we do in the UK about making sure that they're cost equivalent to concrete buildings, which we have to do here, because that value is proved in the US. And so what you find is the construction costs are higher in the US than they are in the UK, equivalents. Okay, so starting to touch on this idea of cost, and I'm gonna come to you now, Sean. Like quite often when timber buildings are mentioned, there's this perception that they do come with a premium. And kind of, kind of what your thoughts are on that, like what you're hearing back and whether that's kind of almost putting people off, kind of leaning towards timber buildings. I think 
going back to my first going back to my first point about competition there's and, and I cannot stress this enough there is so much available real estate across the UK in particular around London at the moment and unfortunately as I said before they all look the same so since COVID, we have been encouraging our clients to try and do things differently because unless you stand out from the crowd, you just kind of get lost in the noise. And timber is a really good way of doing that. Um, but on top of that also, it obviously comes with huge sustainable benefits. And I can tell you guys kind of being on the ground seeing this, there are occupiers in the market now, and it's not just at the top end, it's very much in the middle and even starting to present itself at the smaller end as well. Occupiers will not come out and even look at buildings unless there is a really tangible and, and, and bona fide ESG and sustainable agenda attached to that building. So if it doesn't meet certain criteria, they won't even come and look at it. And that was maybe a few years ago, that was really focused on big businesses, but then now we're seeing it across, across the board. But going back to your question about costs, so there has been this, I walk into meetings at very early stages of, of site development, and me and my colleagues say, right, well, why don't you try and build the building out of timber? Or at least the extension on the top, why don't you build out of timber? And the knee-jerk response is, we can't afford it. We can't afford the timber. It's too expensive. Not only is it too expensive, it's too much to insure. But my friend Andrew is, has convinced me with good, with good um, with, with, uh, stuff to evidence to back it up that it is not more expensive to build in timber, and that is actually a bit of a myth. So for me, as I said, I mean, I don't know what the makeup of the audience is, but we all want to deliver buildings that are successful. Um, and as I said, there are, in my opinion, over the last five years, which is when kind of CLTs really made an impact, there just hasn't been enough of it. And I do think there is this myth around cost, which I don't necessarily believe is, is actually the case. I agree. There's also an insurance point, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But. I, th I think just to, just to add to that, I think whilst it's um, d a timber structure does cost more than a steel or concrete one. It's just the way in which you then balance that with the rest of the building that means that a timber building doesn't need to cost as, doesn't need to cost more than a traditional one. And it's, you know, it's simple things like early engagement with the supply chain. It's about understanding how things are actually put together, which, I mean, like historically, you know, even though we're creating these huge edifices, we're all pretty bad at doing. Like, and, and wood, there's some screws. There's some screws over there that you can just go straight in. Okay, you know, I mean, the, I'm, I'm simplifying things, but CLT, timber construction, is at its very core, very, very straightforward. And actually, you get rid of all of those supplementary trades, the builder's works, there's nobody who's gonna have to go in and core drill to put in the, you know, to put services on the ceiling. It's literally one guy, screwdriver, wood screw. And it just happens. And, and if you can play that process right, then you can end up with a building that doesn't cost you the earth. And actually, from a from a from a product perspective, is completely differentiated, and it's a it's a one-off. And people will, I think, you know, once people start to move towards that as their well, that that's I want to be in a building like that. That's where you'll then start to see the actual 
pound per square foot growth. Yeah. You've got to think that if people are, you know, if these businesses, and these are figures from the, that the office group gave me, if these figures around the 7% of turnover, you know, goes to rent, then you've got to think that actually 20% or 30% or even a little bit more is available within that model to spend on quality. It's also, I mean, I'm all, I always laugh when these figures are kind of, when these percentages are banded around. We all, as we all spend more time, well, maybe not all of us, the, the, these days, but we tend, we spend more time in an office than we do in our own home. So why would you not want to work in the most, um, in, in the best possible environment possible? And I mean, I can't imagine there are many people who would rather work in a sterilized white box with metal floors as opposed to a really kind of um, texture-rich timber building. I mean, it, it's, it's just logic. I yeah. mean, it's just pure logic. Yeah. So it costs, well, if you do it right, it costs the same. It looks better. It's more sustainable. It's unique. I don't really see where there is kind of any downside. I mean, I'm still waiting. The insurance point is something that we should cover because I, I've, I, we, have, we are involved in a project that has, we have been trying to sell for about three years. Um, and the reason we can't sell it is because the insurance premium attached to the building because of the timber construction is eye-wateringly high. That has a knock-on effect onto things like service charge, desirability, so on and so forth. Now, you tell me the reason that's happened, and maybe you as well, is because there was a lack of early engagement from commencement. So, I do, so I've listed off five reasons as to why timber should be an absolute no-brainer product for anyone to build. But I do think that is kind of caveated by the fact that both in terms of how you build it and how you kind of set up insurances and everything else behind it, it's, got to, it's all about early engagement. Because yeah. if you don't get the early engagement, you're... Absolutely. I mean, it is a, I think the thing is, at its, you know, it, this is a different way of building. It's not taking out the concrete and steel and replacing it with timber. It is a different way of building. It's a different process of design. It's a different process of construction. And if you turn around to the insurance industry and say to them, well, we've all been building the same way for 100 years, and now we're going to do something completely different. Can you just insure it for the same amount of money? That's not going to happen. So the collaboration that we need with, all, you know, with our client, with agents, with engineers, that collaboration needs to extend to the insurance market as well so that you can demonstrate competency, that you can demonstrate that you're listening to the insurance market and you're talking to them about fire risk, you're talking to them about moisture risk. You know, all these sorts of issues that you, as Sean says, that you engage with early. And we found that actually insurance hasn't been a big issue on the buildings that we've been designing and building because of that early engagement. I think what um, insurance, is, insurance is a big issue if you go to a broker and say, I want to insure my building, and then they go out to the market and go, they yeah. want to insure this building. And the insurer goes, well, Horse yeah, what, you know, yeah. what decision-making process did you, what, you know, why did you do that? Do you have infrared cameras to deal with hot works? Do you have moisture detection? You know, and actually the conversation around insurability of buildings, we, we, we've, I'd like to think we've done a relatively good job at doing that during construction. But the issue we're going to have, and I can see it coming, is we've gone from a construction team who've been on the journey. They know what we're doing. They know how it's been all put together. And then we're going to hand it over to a property insurance team. And they're going to go, 
why have you done that? Yes. And, 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 and actually, the, 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 their zone of influence is not just, I mean, two, two years ago, if you wanted to go out and get a contractor's or risk policy on a building, you could do that three months before you started on site. With a timber building, that's probably 12 to 18 months out, and it's still possible. Ensuring a completed building when you're designing it is a completely different ball game that I'm not sure anyone's really got their head around yet. But for me, it's all about alignment of incentives. So at the moment, we're all hoping for the best and the insurers there expecting the worst. So as we start to move towards a more you know, mainstream movement towards timber construction, and there's a growing demand for it from, from occupiers because, and from other developers because it's performing better than expected, that is probably the moment where there'll be a weight of demand that the insurance market will have to catch up on. And, and, and don't get me, I'm not going to stand here and slay insurers because it's not fair, but there are a body of really great organizations who are looking at these projects um, and looking at them seriously because they can start to see on the horizon there's, there's, there's a lot more of it coming. Feels like there's a feels like there's a really big missed opportunity. If anyone's in insurance here, it feels like there's a whole a whole insurance uh, angle here for a big business. But uh, yeah, there's some interesting work being done. Built by Nature were speaking on this stage earlier, and I know they've been involved in a project in the UK looking at this insurance as as a barrier. And Sean, you outlined essentially five reasons why this is a no-brainer. And then we've covered insurance as kind of one reason that this hasn't taken off and soared. But I'd like to dig a little bit into, even though that premium is there, um, what are some of the other barriers that have stopped this scaling? Um, you might have some different ideas. But. I, I, I actually don't think there are many barriers. And I know that's a really kind of lazy answer, but I just, I just don't think there is. Um, whether you're, whatever your product is, and listen, whether it's, real estate, whether it's wristwatches, whether it's cars or trainers, people want unique items. And on the basis that, as I said, without wanting to repeat myself, but on the basis it costs the same to construct and it could potentially cost the same to insure if you get yourself sorted. Um, why would you not want to work in a team? But there, there is no reason why you wouldn't want to do it. So I don't really see there is a downside and that's, that, but that, but that it, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for something that isn't there. And, and I think this is especially relevant at this moment in time, right? So I've been very outspoken about going back to the office and the need to do that, not f for lots of reasons, not, not just because it's, it's good for business, but going back to your point about staff retention, it's not just about staff retention, it's also about making people want to work for your business, yeah, getting them absolutely. in the first place. And absolutely. the amount of, I've got loads of friends who, who move businesses and I'm always fascinated by their reasons for doing it. And, and more, time, more often than not, they say, I just like the environment that they worked in. Yeah. Like, it, they don't, it's not about the business, it's actually mm. about the environment they're in. So it's not just about retention, it's also about hiring um, and well-being whilst you're there. And, and to your point, we spend so much of our lives in these places as well that it's incredibly important for us to feel happy and content in those environments. But um, I was, I was yeah. say, I, so come, I, I come think on, that, I there think is that, definitely some barriers no, here. The, the barrier is, is it's just harder. And historically, we've all been able to do a cookie cutter approach to real estate 
build it, they'll come, that has allowed people to just go, well, I could do this thing, or I could do this, I could do the easy thing, or I could do the really quite difficult thing, or the thing that people, every, everybody's telling me this is difficult. No. And you would typically go to an agent and you'd say, right, I've got these two ideas, which do you think's worth more? Like a, we're playing around with an old building and we're going to extend it in timber and it's going to look, it's going to be awesome, but I can't really show you it's going to look awesome because it looks a bit shit now. Or we're going to knock it down and build this great new shiny building and you'll probably go, because you'll put your neck on the line, you'll say, well, I think that one's going to be worth more. And you say, right, so my optics are something quite easy and I'll make more money or something quite difficult and challenging and I might, I might make the same amount what? of money or I might not. That may have been the case it, it pre-COVID. Yes. So do not underestimate offices as a concept are under mad pressure, right? The, I think offices have got, are probably under the most amount of pressure. I mean, I've been an agent for 23 years. It's not that long, but in the, this is the, this is the, the most crucial or most difficult period of time I've ever experienced in leasing office space. Um, and I just feel that there has never been a more important time for developers, consultants, architects to really try and break boundaries and do things differently because there are so many reasons to not have an office now. So many reasons. And, and, and it's not easing off as much as everyone thought. So you've got to create unique product. And if you don't create unique product, you are just going to get lost in the noise. So I think what's, what's coming is it's kind of an innovate or die moment. Right. It's Correct. just, you, but, 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 yeah, but the handful of timber buildings that are out there in London, you've, you've done most of them. <laughs> <laughs> we did one of them. So that's about it. No, there, and, there were very, very few. And there's so few. Yeah. And, I think, and I think, I mean, real estate's terrible at innovating. So it's taken it's taking years okay, to get I've got a live there. example. So, so the, the black and white building, which um, was developed by, well, designed by Andrew, built by the office group, um, the Shoreditch market in particular has been one of the most heavily impacted markets on the back of COVID. Reason being is that the majority of the um, occupier base in the Shoreditch market are from a tech background. Um, a lot of those businesses are quite small, quite nimble, very happy to work from home. And if they're not happy to work from home, then they really kind of want more cost-effective office space. There is so much availability amongst all of the serviced office providers in the Shoreditch market, whether it's WeWork or Regis or umpteen of these other operators, the one building that seems to be bucking the trend and performing brilliantly is the black and white building. It, I think it was almost 65% let before they even open the doors. Um, some of these buildings have been empty for two years and haven't got to 65% even with the doors open. So. People are, even people in the tech world who are struggling to get back to the office are not only prepared to come into take an office again, but actually pay a premium to be in one. And I think they're now up to maybe 85% having been over for about 12 weeks, which is unprecedented over the last three years since, since the start of COVID. Well, we've got the black and white building and that's thanks to Andrew. But one question that's come in here is, does there need to be more upskilling in the construction industry to really be able to scale this because from what I'm hearing, it's a very small handful of people who are stepping into this space right now in London. And 
if there aren't other barriers to it, is it a skills perspective or are there other things we haven't touched on yet that also need to be factored there, in? There, there does need to be an upskilling. That's absolutely, absolutely right because we need to transform the way we build. We need to stop building in concrete and steel and we need to just build in timber or retain the existing buildings. So we do definitely need to make that kind of transformation. We need the education to support that, but not, you know, if for the future. But right now, <laughs> honestly, the, you know, the UK, the UK in 2018 was 15% of global CLT market, and last year was less than 1%. So in the UK, the amount of timber buildings that we're building every year is going down. It's not going up like the rest of the world. So. Yes, we need to reinvest. We know we need to invest in education of, of the industry. But actually, what we need to do is we need to go out and build these buildings. We've had 700 people come and see the black and white building. Honestly, I kind of like I'm, <laughs> I'm like Elton John, sat there sort of singing the same song week in, week out, and still actually trying to get people to have the courage to innovate, to have the courage to actually do this. I do, I do think, so I do think sentiment is going to change, though, because I think, as I said, without wanting to be a total doom-monger, I think we are going to find that there's going to be continual pressure on the office market. Product is not, going to, is not going to be letting as developers wanted it to. And I do feel that people are going to have to start being more bold and brave because this is not a short-term problem. This is a, this is a, a medium to long-term problem. Um, and as I said... Even if, even if, hypothetically speaking, even if half the market didn't like to be in a CLT building, for me, advising anyone building a building or designing a building, I would far rather alienate 50% of the market and be appealing to the 50% that you are appealing to than be, than be something for everyone and just get lost in the noise. So this is, there has never been a more important time in recent history for developers to be kind of bold, braid and different, not just in terms of what these buildings look like, but how they behave as well. It's kind of four-man function in, in equal measure. One thing I'd like to, I guess part of the reason that the decline happened was because of changes in regulation in the UK and fire risk, or at least a factor Perception. as part of it. Yeah. And so someone has then gone on to ask kind of, when you often need to do encapsulation in some buildings to address fire risk, I imagine, is the main reason, how can you still get the well-being benefit of building with wood? Um, so putting that to you. That's an, interesting, that's an interesting question because if you cover the timber up, are you still getting the kind of hydroscopic and acoustic and well-being benefits when you can't see it? I think probably the, 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 the answer is not all of them but there's still some there. I mean, I live in a CLT house, most of which... No, I do. No, no, no. <laughs> I thought you were serious. <laughs> um, and I live in a CLT house, and a lot of that is encapsulated. But we still, actually at the moment, we're having some work done, so I'm sleeping in a concrete house. I'm like, fuck, I'm so tired. I'm just not sleeping. <laughs> um, so it, it's completely different. It does feel completely different. It's quite difficult to put your hand on, exact finger on what it is, but it is different. Um, so I think that the health and well-being benefits and what we're seeing from post-occupancy evaluation studies is that that well-being is still coming through in structures. And also, even in buildings that are encapsulated, there are still opportunities for exposing the timber. So, yeah, that, uh, uh, I, 
It was interesting uh, we, when we were going through this process a couple of years ago on a on a hybrid scheme that we're developing uh, that's on site currently in Marlebone. The, the same thing that we went through this and we were like we want to build out of CLT and I, I know it's it's a hybrid so it's it's not pure but it's it's still good it's wood um, and they said well oh well we can do that if you encapsulate it and my and my my response was why would we do that. It was just, you're going to like, you go to all this effort, all this energy, all of this wanting to create a fabulous environment to then hide it. I think, I mean, I think it's an interesting discussion around as to whether or not, you know, if, you, if you're going to all that effort and then hiding it away, whether people will still buy into the sustainable virtues of it in the, in the same way. Um, but I think a, a huge part of it is just kind of just, just, just throwing yourself headfirst into this is what we want to do and this is this is how we think we're going to get there and actually the market the people who you're engaged with the consultants who you're working with the collaboration that happens after that after a while that all starts starts to click into place it's a bit like it's a bit like riding a bike you know it, it's hard the first time but actually once you once you've been through it you're like you just get the itch and you're like, oh, well, let's do it again. And also, I think, you know, either, either the UK will begin to recognize the fire research that's being done by the rest of the world and acknowledge the test results from fire, study, fire studies by the rest of the world, or the rest of the world will take the same cautious approach that the UK is taking. I mean, I think it's unlikely. So, you know, there are even buildings that are planned as encapsulated now, with the amount of fire research that's going on at the moment, you could see those, that encapsulation falling away. That, it goes back, so the, so the two points that everyone thinks are a problem, one of which being cost, the other being insurance, they're really the only two reasons that you wouldn't build in timber because there are no other downsides. And even those two downsides, if they're dealt with correctly, so you've got to imagine it's going to become more mainstream. Based my whole career on it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's another question that's come in that I, I want to put to you that says, is there not any issue leasing spaces with shorter spans associated with timber? That's the client pushback we often get from a designer point of view. As in, you need more columns? You need fewer columns. Fewer. Oh, so, so, so timber, you need, you need more columns. You, you, but, need, more, you need more columns. Um, yeah. I think it depends. I mean, in terms of, I think we've got to kind of put CLT construction into a certain bucket are you going to build a 400,000 square foot tower in the heart of the city in CLT probably not um, but when you are working on smaller buildings with I would say floor I mean we've been involved with a scheme with you guys where we have floor plates of 13,000 square feet out of CLT and there are no issues in terms of layouts or grids at all, really. Um, and actually, if you go back even for, if you go back to kind of Victorian architecture or even Art Deco, um, there are quite there's quite a lot of columns in there, and these buildings are very popular because they offer a kind of authentic character. So that's not one of our experiences. But I do think there is probably a limit to what you can do with CL2. As I said, I'd, I'd, I'm not sure you would start building 20, 30,000 square foot floor plates in a tower. <laughs> I was going to say what I, I, I was going to say. I what I need it. is more shorts. I, feel it. Um, <laughs> I mean, what the, 
the problem that we often encounter with com in a commercial environment is that the agents have a very kind of standard demand for a nine meter column grid. And that is really difficult to do in timber. It's feasible, but you get great big bits of timber when you do it. And we just, we just in the middle of building one in Milan, and frustratingly, the client, after we'd started construction, the client went to see the black and white building and sent me a picture of, I wasn't there, and he sent me a picture of him hugging a column. And he said, I wish we had a few more of these. <laughs> so, um, we are in a different world. We're and, in a different world. It's changing, I think, you know. But, it's but, a, but, I mean, yeah, that's the point. But we yes, need I, I'm, we, I'm not going to put you in this bucket, but I think a lot of the agency world is afraid to get outside the box yeah, and say, well, oh, yeah. my BCO guidance says I need I yeah. need a nine by nine column grid and I need my I need to come in the door and my speed gates need to be so wide and I need to be able to get to my floor within X seconds and I, I mean, can't wait outside. And it's, you know what? You're a rare commodity. Just, no, but no, but this just, is probably, it's probably the wrong like, environment. And it, and, and, There's and, more and, of and us commercial, than there are of you. And, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's been a, it's sort of been a kind of, well, we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll do this and, and end up with a great building. But I think the way in which the world has started to move is that it's, it's, about, it's about creating a great destination. And that has got nothing to do with column grids, lift speeds. This is probably the total wrong audience to say what I'm about to say, but I mean, as, a, as an agency business, we transact kind of between 250 and 300 deals a year of all shapes and sizes. I don't remember the last time an occupier got into us about BCO. This is an industry thing that we become obsessed with. The occupier, I, I honestly don't believe they care. They care about wanting a product that, as I said, it's unique, it feels individual, it's been beautifully designed, it's got authentic character, nothing that's kind of contrived. And I think there is this whole misconception in the market, like it's pr this is a product. You wouldn't go out and buy, well you might do, but you, mm. I'm trying to think of an analogy, it's like a car, you're not gonna go and just buy a really, I mean, it's actually a bad analogy because Teslas are really ugly, but people <laughs> buy them. But the point is, people want good product and they want product that looks nice, that performs well. If there's an extra column, I don't think it matters, and I just think there's this obsession around BCO. I mean, as I said, BCO, we've been ignoring BCO for about four years because we haven't, it's a nonsense. It's probably definitely the wrong audience to say that to. <laughs> you know what, it's, 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 like, it's, like, it's like buying an iPhone because it makes great calls. It's just like, it's obvious. It's obvious. So you know, it stands for build concrete offices as well. <laughs> So it's not like, you know, it's all, all the figures are based on concrete buildings. The acoustic separation is based on a concrete floor slab. You know, the temperatures are based on everywhere. It's, you know, this is like, this is a dinosaur way of looking at buildings. Yeah, I mean, earlier we touched on like the upskilling and the construction side of things, but I think really it's an entire value chain of myth busting, insight sharing, awareness raising to kind of have the transformative effect that we need to see throughout. Um, this is going to be the last question. We've had one more come in from someone called Mark, and we're getting close to time, but I want to cover it because I think others might find this interesting. He touches on, Andrew, you mentioned with the black and white building that it has opening windows. How easily do low-tech, low-carbon building service strategies work with timber buildings? I mean, it's a, it's in it, it is an interesting debate because I think in the UK now, the, the idea of having opening windows is, is becoming increasingly important. 
You can't really have opening windows on buildings more than about 15 stories. Um, a lot of buildings that do have opening windows are kind of layered with these kind of complex BMS systems that nobody really understands how to use and, you know, are kind of a little arcane. In fact, I heard a great story from the office group about one of the buildings they're in where they have a traffic light system to open the windows. White and the people, in the, the, people in <laughs> the people in the building have taken inordinate amounts of time to put little bits of masking tape over the sensors and jam rulers in the windows so that they can actually have windows open when they want to have windows open. So I think that that kind of uh, internal atmosphere of an, of an office is really important and not being controlled by those sorts of systems. I think, you know, for years that we thought the way in which we're going to reduce the carbon of buildings, the operational carbon of buildings, is to layer more stuff on top and to make the buildings more and more complex. And actually, it's the kind of complexity in the stuff that's got us into the problems that we're in now. So I would advocate for simpler, fresher, more open buildings. Why would you ever want to work in a building with a seal? I, I, I've never understood it. I mean, would, you wouldn't want to live in a house where you couldn't open your windows. So why would you want to work in an office which you spend probably double the amount of time you spend in your house where you can't open a window? It just makes no sense. Logic. As you were talking there, I was thinking actually you were going to say, like, we all want to be in naked buildings, <laughs> which is yeah. actually just kind of... It's about it's about doing doing more with less, and that's Absolutely you know right. whether that's. Yeah. But what is interesting, and, and the thing that you may not agree with me on, but again, f from an occupier's perspective, there are lots of landlords at the moment, especially with their sustainable agenda, trying to move away from um, mechanical um, air conditioning systems. That is proven to be an issue, and I know from no. an ESG standpoint, tenants want the ability. Even with all their ESG uh, requirements, they want to be able to walk into a building, press a button, and cold air blows at them. And I don't think we've quite worked that bit out yet. Oh, we um, haven't. And I it, mean, it, we have a software client in the States, and when we started the building, it was all opening windows everywhere. And then they had a building that they'd just finished with all opening buildings everywhere. And people had been fighting in the building, like literally physically fighting with each other because some people wanted the windows open and other wanted them shut. And so now this software producer won't have any opening windows on the buildings. Really so I think it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's quite complex. We need to get used to. And I think that, that changing environments also requires sort of, you know, changing demand, changing habits. So too. And I think it's a lovely note to end on because we started with this idea and we we're almost very aligned. And I think we've shown actually there's a lot more complexity behind this. It is a really interesting topic. I hope you will go away with a few new insights from the conversation. Thank you, Ben, Sean and Andrew for sharing. It's been really great. Um, and we'll wrap it up there. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.